What's up, party people? Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you desire to do so. Totally up to you. You do you. This first episode for June of 2022 is one that I really didn't want to do, honestly. Um, I remember not liking this book, and of course, like, my main reason for not liking this book, because this was all I focused on when I was 10 years old, was whether Ned was in it, and whether there was a lot of Nancy-Ned interaction, and whether Nancy flirts with anybody else. Like, if you're going to ask me whether a book is good or not, like, those are going to be my big criteria. But the problem that happened here is that when I started reading it, I was like, fuck, I am going to have to talk about this one because I'm so mad. So strap in y'all um this one is the hidden window mystery which is from 1956 actually so we're still solidly in the 50s before the revision started happening um i'm going to try to do summary for the first part of the episode and then me railing against everything for the second part of the episode so if you're like i'm just in it for your snarky summary then i will very clearly note when i'm about to just lose my absolute shit so that's gonna be fun so, Hidden Window Mystery, if we're going to start with the cover, I actually hate this cover. Um, so, that's fun. This cover is Nancy looking at a peacock, and that peacock takes up easily over a third, close to half of the front of this thing. So, it's it's just classic peacock. He's just a bluebird with a lot of red and green feathers happening, and he's just strutting his stuff. It's the middle of the night. Nancy is holding a flashlight on him, and Nancy is, while she has her hair done, because she's Nancy fucking Drew, y'all. Disney princess and friend to all animals. Um, she is wearing a, she's wearing clearly pajamas, like with actual pants and a robe that is very tightly belted over them as though the top is too hot for TV. Um, she's standing outside a house with four, at least four columns are visible and it's got a second story with a, an outside part. So you know that it's good. And there's a man in the background much like all men on the covers of Nancy Drew books, he is in a full suit with a button-down shirt while he's sneaking toward the house in the background. He looks white. Um, it's it's nighttime. There's some trees in the background. Um, yeah. I, I actually really don't like this cover. I, like, I don't loathe it, but the cover that Rudy Nappy did for the 1975 revision text, I think it was 1975, um, that one I like a lot better. That one's very atmospheric, and it's Nancy, and she's wearing a blue top, and you can kind of see the window in question behind her, but it's a lot of blue. It's just a very blue cover, and I really like blue in most decorative contexts, so that's why I prefer that one, actually. I even made some live journal icons back in the day from that particular cover. This one, the summary part is going to be kind of quick. Maybe. I don't know. You know me. I can't shut my fucking mouth. This one, Nancy is at home when a beleaguered, that's such a fun word, when a beleaguered post office person comes by. This is not the same Ira Dixon from the Nancy's Mysterious Letter, book eight, that came out in 1933. This is not that one. This is, I think this one's name is Mr. Ritter. I don't fucking care. I'm not opening this book again. I'm not fucking... I'm, I'm going to open the book again. You know this. But anyway. Anyway, uh, so Mr. Ritter comes by the house and he's like, hey, Nancy. And she's like, hey, why don't you come in and just sit down and we can have a little chat. And he's like, fuck yeah. I wanted to show you somebody else's mail. All the red flags. All the red flags, baby. Um, First off, what... what? Second, anytime any postal office person enters Nancy's house, like immediately a portal to hell opens. So they should have known better. So he walks in, they offer him tea. Um, Hannah's there like serving things. And she's like, he, he brings out a magazine. I think it's called like the Continental Magazine just to drill home everything that's going to fucking happen. And she's like, that is a hot looking sports car in the back of that magazine. And I was like, this is such a non sequitur that this is going to be important later because we can't have a Chekhov's gun. It needs to be like a Nerf Chekhov's gun. So anyway, so this is what Mr. Ritter, I believe, noticed in the magazine when he was just flipping through other people's mail. And I'm like, are you also checking out like the Fredericks of Hollywood catalogs for personal reasons? I'm asking. Also, dude is like 60 and he's like, of course, as always, three days away from retirement because this is a Groundhog Day of weird things. All postal office people in River Heights are between the ages of 58 and 60 and they're going to go through your shit. So... He shows Nancy the article, which is, there is a, I'm going to fuck all this up. There is like a Sir Richard Greystone, which when I read that, I immediately went, he man, but no, this is 1956. 
I mean, Tarzan, yes. We can, we can throw some shit in there. Anyway, he noticed this article, Sir Richard Greystone of England, just general England, Sussex maybe, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, he is offering a reward for the recovery of a stained glass window. The recovery, as in it's lost. The window is lost. So the title of this book should have been The Lost Window Mystery, but I guess they decided that didn't make any sense, so they decided to call it The Hidden Window Mystery, which is a huge spoiler. Um, it's fine. Anyway, so he's offering a massive reward. The book doesn't actually say the amount of the reward because I was like, I need to throw that shit into the inflation calculator, but it was like, no, no, it's just a substantial reward. And Nancy's like, Nancy, when she looks at this, first off, it's a fucking mystery, so she's here for it. Second, though, she looks at it and says... I can use the reward money and donate it to the local hospital to be used for their children's wing. Like, I love that she's thought this out. She's been like, okay, if I win the lottery, which I have not looked up whether the lottery was a thing that was happening at the time. Anyway, um, but she was like, I already know how I'm going to spend the money, and it's on that. And I'm like, I like that you're not like on Ned and my wedding, which is imminent. Okay. I mean, let's, let's save some children. Let's save some children's. I do like, I mean, this is to me a big throwback to the beginning Nancy Drew books where this was her main concern was like helping people who were underprivileged. So I'm like, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I will give you the vague nod to being a liberal. I'll give you that. So she's just, they, they have no fucking clue where it is. Clearly, clearly, because in the magazine, they're like, we don't know where it is. We think it was brought to America in 1850. Yeah, I want I want you to think real hard about that. Okay, so I'm just laying some groundwork here. 1850, so that would have been roughly um, 15 years before the Civil War broke out. Um, okay, okay. Um, because apparently a member of the family immigrated to the United States around that time, and so they were like, we think that this relative stole it. And you're like, sure, sure. I'm going to just back out here. The complete implausibility. Okay, so, and she even goes to talk to people who fucking work with stained glass windows as their thing. So she goes to talk to them and they're like, yes, so here's the intricate process by which you have to basically design the, it's like a color by numbers thing where you have to design it, make sure that it actually makes some sense, where you have to look at where it's going to be mounted and how the light's going to come in and how you're going to do the letting and how you're going to, like, the thickness of it and the frame and actually, like, cutting out the pieces and blah, blah. And George at one point actually, like, slices her fucking hand open on some glass. So you know it's serious. Um, so somebody fucking, apparently, and when you know that they're going to find the thing. I'm not spoiling anything by telling you that at this point. When they find the fucking thing, it is massive as shit. Like, it is so big that Nancy takes some bricks out of a wall and is like, I think I found it, but I've only seen, like, maybe a person's finger. Like, it's it's fucking massive. It's, it's just a fucking massive thing. And I'm like, okay, it's 1850. You're not flying. You're, you're lugging this shit on... It's wildly implausible. It's like, open up a teleportation portal and bring it, like, it's just, sure, sure. I've got a lot of questions. I've just got a lot of fucking questions. But anyway, so, Nancy's like, I'm gonna find that damn window. So, she talks to her dad, and he's like, well, I mean, where are you gonna start? They decide to settle on Charlottesville, Virginia. We're gonna put a pin in it. We're gonna circle back later during the analysis part, but, um, Nancy has a cousin named Susan Carr who lives in Charlottesville. Nancy has not seen Susan much since her wedding, which was like a couple years ago. Like she, she recently married. Um, there is absolutely no mention of how Susan is her cousin. So presumably either Carson or Nancy's mother, who was never actually provided in the name in the text, um, have a sibling. Um, but Aunt, it's not Aunt Eloise's child. Um, no, we would, we would know about that. So just random cousins, random cousins. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like George's phantom siblings that occasionally happen and occasionally don't. They're just, you know, it's like Marty McFly. There's a Polaroid and occasionally there's some people in it. So Nancy decides to head to Charlottesville. She, um, lets Susan know that she's coming. Susan is fucking overjoyed as of course she is because Nancy Drew is coming to visit. Um, she is happy to show Nancy her newly remodeled house. I'm going to have a lot of fucking shit to say about that. Um, but Nancy and, and Vice Best and George to go with her. Of course, they are ecstatic at the thought. They get in the car and drive Nancy's convertible to Charlottesville, Virginia. Sure they do. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. 
they get there and actually when they're I think when they're about to leave and Nancy receives a telegram saying now is not a good time please come later Susan and Nancy's like she would never have fucking sent this telegram this is garbage which again if you look at the last book when Nancy received uh, a phone call that was like your father they don't expect him to make it she was like yes and you're like sometimes the credibility is strained the credulity I don't know. Anyway, so Nancy's like, no, she wouldn't have said this. So they actually end up, they end up getting to Charlottesville and then they find out that Susan has, Susan is in the hospital because she had a car accident. I may be mixing this up. She, I think, no, I think that she, I think that she did end up in the, because she has another fucking car accident when she leaves the fucking hospital. Like, oh my God, y'all. Oh my God. So Nancy, like, gets her in the car. Somebody, like, runs her off the road. And the, okay. Oh, what Susan tells Nancy is that the person who ran her off the road was apparently wearing a rubber mask. And in the line art depictions in the book, they look like Uncle fucking Fester. So that's fun. Anyway, so Susan doesn't know who it was. She's pretty sure the person was white. And, but that's about it. So Susan got run off the road. Um, she's in the hospital. The doctors are like, yeah, she's pretty much recovered. You can take her home. So Nancy puts her in the car. They're on the way home. I think that all four of them like jam into the front seat for vague reasons. Um, somebody, oh, they go to pick up Susan's car. Um, I can't remember how the fuck they're dealing with the cars at this point. But anyway, um, Nancy's driving. Susan's in the, Susan's in the passenger seat or whatever the fuck. And um, the steering suddenly goes out. The, the car had been thoroughly checked and was, uh, and again, this, the accident happened like 24 hours earlier. She was run off to the road to the point that she was taken to the hospital because they were like, she's got serious injuries. And yet the car is fixed 24 hours later. And I was like, I've got questions. Um, so it runs off the road because the steering goes out. Uh, Susan hits her head and passes out and they're like, son of a bitch. Like she had only left the hospital 30 minutes ago. So they take her back and they're like, Okay, um, no, actually, some um, they go they go get a doctor. Like George is like, I think we passed a doctor's house like uh, half a mile ago, and I'm like, D- did he have a sign out front? Did he have like a, a shingle where he was like, hi, if you're in need a doctor in or some opioids, please come in. So George heads back to the doctor's house, brings the doctor back. The doctor checks Susan out and is like, I mean, she's a little bit shocky, so just give her some aspirin and take her home. Keep her quiet. It's fine. Don't take her back to the hospital. And the girls are like, that seems legit. I, no, no, uh, mm-mm, mm-mm, uh-uh, uh, nope, nope. Anyway, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so they, uh, they take Susan's car back to the garage to complain, as one should. And they're like, no, no, we checked it out like we've, it was perfect. So somebody fucked with it. Somebody snu- they, they saw somebody intruding the night before, but didn't think anything of it. And you're like, yeah. Sure. I mean, honestly, if you saw somebody in a in the parking lot of a car repair place, you'd just think they were picking up their fucking car. So, okay. I'm going to just start sobbing quietly here. Um, this is 1956. Um, so the window vanished roughly 100 years earlier. Um, when they walk up to Susan's house, Susan's house is a lovingly renovated by her architect husband. Um, I think his name is Cliff. I don't fucking care. Um, it's got columns. It looks Southern. It looks absolutely Southern. At one point, Susan refers to Nancy and her friends as my friends from up North. So yeah. Um, when they open the door, Susan has a black housekeeper who is speaking in dialect. Like if you're looking at the original mystery stories, which we are, all of them are going to depict African-Americans, black people, speaking in dialect. It's as though they can't fucking help it. So they walk up and she's like, oh, you know, land sakes and all sorts of things that make me want to punch somebody in the face. And of course she looks at Bess and she's like, Bess, you're in need of a meal. And Bess is like, how did you know? I fucking love you. So yeah, there's a lot of her like saying, oh, let's, let's feed everybody. Um, there's about 14 mysteries that Nancy's involved in in this book. The first one is finding the fucking window, this, which she's, she asks around. And again, she has no idea that it's actually in Charlottesville. It's just that her friend is nearby. And also there's somebody else who does some work on stained glass windows nearby. And she's like, I've got a hunch. And you're like, then it's going to be there because you're Nancy Drew and you're not going to waste time. You, you rarely waste time. I'll put it that way. So there's that. When they get to um, Susan's house, Susan is like, Oh, I'm helping out with Garden Week, which, 
felt like a uniquely 1950s like way to shame your indigent neighbors into shit um like the keep american beautiful thing um that the garden week like people open up their homes especially the ones that are like former plantations the ones that are former like plantation homes and just like the stately southern manners um, so they open those up, but somebody from outside the neighborhood who is from actual fucking India has moved into one of said homes and is refusing to open it to the public. And so they're like, Nancy, you go talk to him and get him to open up his house. And Nancy's like, sure, I, I guess. Um, and also like who is threatening Susan because Susan, of course, is also a Disney princess in front of all animals. So there's that. So that's where we're at in this book. Um, Nancy goes around talking to people. She finds out that, um, I think there's a guy named Mark Bradshaw. He lives nearby. Ooh, shit. We need to circle back. Okay. At the beginning of the book, when I was like, don't, don't walk into Nancy Drew's house. It opens a portal to hell. Um, the post office person, um, apparently he, when he was going into or leaving Nancy's house, um, and I think it was when he was going into, like a sudden gust of wind grabbed all of his mail. And so Nancy went around the neighborhood grabbing all the mail that she could possibly find. Um, but then a woman who apparently moved in on Nancy's block at the end, of course, of course, it's a recent person. Like we can't have established people in River Heights being dickheads. Um, this person is named Mrs. Dondo, which I'm like, mm, yeah, just, just shove that hammer right onto that nail. Um, Mrs. Dondo is like, there was a hundred dollar bill for me from my brother Alonzo in Charlottesville and it is not in this mail and you lost it and you owe me a hundred dollars. And Nancy's like, um, I, I gathered up all of his mail. It, it wasn't there. Why would somebody send you cash through the mail? That's, that's just stupid. Like, mm. anyway, so she and the woman have words. Um, and Nancy's, and, and she's like, I'm going to call the postmaster. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to give that money back. Blah. And the guy's like, I, I can't afford to give her a hundred dollars. Nancy's like, don't worry, we'll fucking figure it out. So Alonzo lives near Charlottesville. Nancy's cousin lives near Charlottesville. Nancy's like, I'm just going to go to the brother and see if he's the kind of person. Because, like, later on that, like, the next day, she receives an airmail. Mrs. Dondo receives an airmail letter that is like, yes, it is me, your loving brother Alonzo, who sent you $100 cash in the mail. As we've discussed. Bye. And Nancy's like, nothing about this fucking makes sense. So she just wants to meet up with him and be like, casually, like, Hi. Alonzo, person who is pretending he is swimming in a Scrooge McDuck fortune and can just send $100 bills willy-nilly through the mail. Um, also, Togo, who, our favorite little terrier, um, finds a piece of an envelope, which he brings back to Nancy, that apparently looks like it was from a letter to Ms. Dondo, and so Nancy's a little bit nervous about that. Nancy talks to neighbors who were like, Mrs. Dondo sucks on all possible levels. Um, she is just very confrontational and combative and just a bitch and you should not trust her. And Nancy's like, okay, which mm, again, we'll save it for the recap. Um, yeah, so Nancy's inclined to distrust her. And at one point the woman's like, well, I bet you stole the money. And Nancy's like, do you know who my father is? His name is Carson Drew. He is the inventor of Toaster Strudel, and he will end you in all possible legal ways. So just step the fuck off. So there's that. So Nancy kind of leaves her dad at home to kind of deal with that problem. Um, Nancy knows that Alonzo is in the area. When she goes to the guy who makes the stained glass, who is named Mark Bradshaw, I believe. Um, that's his name now. Um, he is very receptive to Nancy, and he seems to, like, she's like, I'm really interested in stained glass, and I'm, I'm looking for a window. Maybe you heard about it. And he's like, no. And then Nancy spots in the corner a magazine that's turned over with a really flashy sports car on the back, and she's like, why the fuck would you lie to me about that? But she doesn't say anything to him, because she's like, okay, well, I'm just gonna do some things to see how it plays out. So she asks if she can have lessons on making a stained glass window because she's like, I'm interested in the process. And he's like, then I will teach you how to make one. And I was like, no, I mean, I guess, but also no. So when she comes into to her first lesson, he's like, okay, I want you to make a sketch and I will tell you if it'll make a good stained glass window. I'm going to give you almost no guidelines. I was like, you're the worst teacher. Like, wow, it would be tough to be worse than that. I'm sure you can top it though, but it'd be tough. So... 
yeah, she makes some sketches. He's like, no, that wouldn't work. You would need to consider this and this. So she makes another sketch. And he's like, this is better, blah, blah, blah. So she ends up making a sketch of Susan Carr and uh, in her garden. And he's like, this is perfect. We should, we should totally make this window. And then Nancy gets bored and she does a sketch of what she feels like the window possibly looks like to describe the window that she is looking for. It is a knight on horseback with a shield and a peacock is on said shield. So, yeah. That's that's how we're going to recognize it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and also, of course, there's some discussion in the book about peacocks, whether they're good luck or bad luck, etc. Um, yeah. They're like, in some cultures, they're good luck. In some cultures, they're bad luck. Um, yeah. So... Alonzo, though, is a helper in Mark Bradshaw's studio. He's there to do stuff. And he comes over when Mark Bradshaw is, like, called away for some shit. He comes over to look at Nancy's sketches, and he's like, you are a terrible artist. I do not want know why he is letting you stay in here, and you are just bad at this. And Nancy's like, Nancy actually, like, puffs up and gets fucking affronted because when she was first brought there by Susan Carr, who was like, of course, I am close personal friends with the local stained glass person. Um, she was like, Nancy has been to art school. And Nancy's like... I mean, I have. And so when dude is like, you suck at this, Nancy's like, why don't you just step the fuck off? And she's like, well, why don't you give me some pointers, dick? Um, she does get super sassy with him. I am here for it. So she noticed that he actually like takes her picture of the night and crumples it up in a ball and throws it in the fireplace and is like, it is worth this much. And Nancy's like, wow, you are the worst. So anyway, um, when she leaves that night, because she notices that Alonso's got sketches that she wants to look at, so she, like, flings her compact into the bushes so that she can be like, I needed to find my compact and also just search the studio at night. Okay. So, they're staying at Susan's house. All, all the girls. Of course, many, many descriptions of food are, are made. Um... When they get a call and Carson's like, you're going to have some unexpected visitors. And Nancy's like, oh, are we? And so Bess, of course, dresses up and is looking out the window. She's like, they're here. And it's Ned and his buds, Ned, Bert, and Dave, who that's going to be the trio from here on out. Um, they have arrived in Charlottesville for a conference. Yes. Yes. Anyway, it's it's like a football conference. I don't, I don't fucking know, and neither do they. So they're there for that. They have some time to spend with Nancy and her friends, but they're going to have to get up early the next day, go to their conference, and then go straight home because I guess they're on probation based on previous shenanigans. So um, they come over. Nancy dresses for the date in a dark dress so that she, because she's already planning to take Ned over there for her to sneak into that place. Um, yeah, and so Nancy's like, I've got some plans for us after dinner. And Ned's like, if they involve you taking your clothes off, then you know I'm here for it. But she's like, we're going to go search an art studio. So she takes Ned out there. He's standing as lookout. Um, she goes into the art studio, and she's, well, actually, she can't because she sees the lights on in there. It's Alonzo, and he has snuck back in, and he goes to the fireplace and pulls out Nancy's picture. He takes it out and tries to smooth it out, and she's like, so I guess it was good enough, huh, bitch? Um, not out loud, just in her head. Um, so he turns the light off. He leaves. Nancy tries to follow him. Um, she, he goes out to the river actually and gets on a paddle boat and she's like, uh, well, I don't have a paddle boat. So she goes back to the house. She climbs up to see if she can see something. And, um, a guard dog actually goes after Ned and Nancy's up in a tree and she can't get down to help him. And then Mark Bradshaw comes out and he's like, Prince, Tush, what's going on? What are you doing here? And Ned's like, I'm, I'm here with her. And Nancy's like, I was here looking for my compact, which I dropped earlier. And Ned was nice enough to come out with me. And I, the, the dog startled me into the tree. And he's like, this, this sounds like absolute garbage. Go home. And Nancy's like, so uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning for our lessons. And he's like, I'm going to be quite busy. And Ned's like, wow, he, he fucking hates you now. And Nancy's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, okay. Um, shit. The other thing that happens is that Nancy is asked about peacocks because somebody who lives at Ivy Hall, um, who is an actress and her 18-year-old daughter, they have seen peacocks at night and they've heard weird sounds like screaming and Nancy's like, well, peacocks do that. Like, I'm an expert on peacocks and that is a thing they do as I'm a Disney princess. I sense the n normal things that all animals do. 
Um, so she's like, I need you to help me figure out what's going on with that. There's also a cowboy named Luke who wears big old belt buckles and says he's from Oklahoma and says that he is quite rich and is just sightseeing in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I was like, for a, for what kind of conference? And he's like, no, no, just, just hanging out. Um, the first time that Nancy tries to go by the dude's house that bought it, the Indian who was named Honcho, I was like, you didn't look up. Okay. Okay. Not what I was expecting. Um, anyway, so the dude who owns the house now, like she tries to go up there and everything is walled off, locked. She sees the cowboy go up there and she's like, Hey, I need it. And he just hauls ass in there and locks it. So she knows that Luke knows about the house that she's trying to get access to for garden week. But no. And it turns out that Luke is trying to date the actress's daughter. And I'm like, there's 14,000 people in this book. Um, but she doesn't want to date him because he seems like kind of a piece of shit. She's not here for it. So the, the old house, like they actually don't have enough money to keep it up. They don't have enough money to hire servants. When she tried to hire servants, when the actress did, um, they said this place is fucking haunted and no. Um, so she's nervous about that. She's nervous about the peacocks. She's just fucking nervous about all of it. She sees Nancy at like a garden party. And she's like, oh, you're a detective? Please come solve the mystery of the ghosts. So Nancy and her friends agree to go out to the house. They do a thorough search of the house like 14 times. Um, one of the things that they find is that from the attic, there is a staircase slash slide that goes down into the cellar slash tunnel area, which they look at and they're like, oh, I bet this was something that slaves used. And I was like, mm-hmm. Um, there's actual decrepit slave quarters out back that have like kind of tumbled down. They go in there and Bess looks around and is like, oh, how quaint. They've still got copper pots on the walls. And I was like, um, mm. okay. Speaking of somebody who grew up in a state where copper was stolen out all over the place. Um, okay. I don't know why you would leave copper pots in your outbuilding, but okay. Um, yeah. Quaint. Fucking quaint. Um, anyway, so they're... They're down there in the tunnel slash going toward the old slave quarters and mm, everything's bad. Um, yeah, Nancy and George end up down there. George actually falls into a giant mud puddle slash well. Like the unmarked abandoned well from the Adams Family movie. Um, anyway, like she falls in there. They, they, Nancy gets her out of there. It's, it's just real, real weird. It's just real, real weird. So Nancy's like, okay, so if this house was standing during like the 1850s and it's reasonable to think that maybe, maybe the window is here. So they search everywhere that they possibly can. They can't find it. Um, eventually though, um, Nancy does look at the house, look at the plants of the house, look at how everything is arranged. And she's like, I feel like this room was added on later. And inside the house, behind some bookcases, she finds a brick wall. And once she pulls the bricks out of the wall, she finds that there is indeed a stained glass window there. So, around the same time, like right before they discover the window, somebody breaks into the house during garden week. Somebody breaks into the house and just like ransacks the place, wrecks the walls. They're clearly looking for the window and they don't find it. Um, they also go upstairs and steal some of the girls' lingerie. And Nancy's like huh? And the cops are like, well, clearly it was a man and a woman. And I'm like, or Madison Cawthorn. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, Lord. Um, so yeah, so there's that. And also they're like, why, why would she steal her lingerie? And I'm like, I've, I've got a lot of answers to that question. None of them are good. None of them are appropriate for this book. So anyway, Nancy finds a stained glass window. The, um, Alonzo and his confederate, whose name I neither remember nor care to look up, um, have called Richard Greystone, Sir Richard Greystone from England, and they've been like, we found your window. And basically what they've done is they're, he took Nancy's sketch and built a window from that because it met the description. So who's the fuck to say? And now she does, because Nancy, of course, talked to a bunch of experts, she does find out that any, any window that was, this window is supposed to, again, the implausibility is just staggering. This window is supposed to date back to like the 15th century. Okay. It's supposed to fucking date back to the 15th century. And the dude, the guy who's talking to Nancy about it at that point is like, it, the quality of the glass would be different, actually. Like, it would have uh, imperfections and bubbles in it, which add character to it and are, and are seen as valuable by collectors. So Nancy's like, okay, so it would be easy for her to date the window where she defined it to, to see if, like, those same methods were being used. Um, so basically, that's what Alonzo did. He contacted him and was like, yeah, I found your window. And he was basically going to make one from Nancy's sketch. 
So fuck you, Alonzo. So of course they like uh, put Nancy and Bess and George and I think Susan as well into like a barn on the property so that she can't interfere with him collecting the reward money. But of course they get loose and they go over to Sir Richard Greystone and they're like, no, we found it. We found it. Um, because Nancy went to talk to somebody else in the neighborhood. Um, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. This is somebody who has worked, her family has worked for other families. And I'm like, so she's black. And the text refers to her as colored, which is what it would do at this point. Um, and it says that they've been working for this family for a long time. And you're like, okay, since, since they were enslaved by that family, um, they live in the slave quarters. They've been renovated, but they live in the slave quarters. So Nancy goes to talk to her and she's like, oh yeah, there was a family nearby here named Grace, G-R-A-Y-C-E. Um, but I remember something about like, maybe they were part of the Greystone family, but they came over and they also lived in Ivy Hall, which is where Nancy's been spending her time. So, so that's, that's kind of like the qualifying thing that Nancy's like, okay, I'm pretty sure the window's here. She looks in and she finds it and she finds a note with the window that says that, and she finds it when Sir Richard Greystone is there with her. So he's able to confirm the yes, it was there. Um, that says basically like, I am the owner of the window. I'm bricking it in between the two walls because there's a war going on between the North and the South. And I'm afraid that it's going to be broken. And I'm really sorry that I have estranged myself from my family. And if anybody finds this, please, um, let them know that, you know, I'm still your homie and here's the window, like peace out. And Nancy's like, Hmm. And Sir Richard Grayson is like, yes, we have found my family window. He never really explains, like, why it's such a fucking big deal for it. I mean, it, a lot of this book is fucking impossible as shit. Anyway, so Nancy's found it, and everything is fine again, and hooray! And also, like, there's Luke, the cowboy who is interested in the actress's daughter, like, it has found out about the window as well, thinks that it may be in the house as well, has been searching the house, um, the way that they check this is they take Luke up in the attic when they're pretty sure that he's been searching the house and they're like, oh, look, we found such cool things in the attic. Come over here and stand over this trap door, which we're not going to tell you was here. And he's like, no, don't touch that springing mechanism. And they're like, you've been here. And he's like, I mean, I have. Luke is destitute and he's just been pretending that he's got money and he is actually legit interested in the actress's daughter, but he's also been spending time with Mr. Honcho. So he actually introduces Nancy to Mr. Honcho, who is again from India. Um, Mr. Honcho raises peacocks and he was afraid that the white people would think that they were bad luck and try to hurt them. And so that's why he walled off his entire property was to keep the peacocks safe from the white people. I love all the symbolism. Um, so Luke stole one and put it on their property because he was trying to scare them off the property so that he could search the house to find the window to make some money because yep so he admits that he also makes the daughter a fan from peacock feathers and she's like i should throw this out and after he's admitted everything he's like no no please don't like i actually did make that with my own two hands and she's like that's kind of cute though so yeah so nancy gets the reward money and she sends it to the children's hospital and everything is fine again and that's how we're going to end the summary portion of this Okay, oh my god, where to start? Okay, so let's let's just do some historical background. 1850, um, of course, slavery was live and well in the United States. Um, the United States was one of the last places to actually get rid of the slave trade. Um, so if you were looking at somebody who was living in the United Kingdom at that point in 1850 who might have feelings about slavery, then they might indeed immigrate to the United States so that they could continue engaging in that kind of lifestyle, which is such a fucking sanitized way of saying, but I want to own some people. Um, so there's that. There's like, what what would have provoked a, dis, a, a problem within your family that you were like, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go to a different country and also I'm going to need to take the stained glass window with me. Um, the very fact that it's a knight being depicted in the window, I don't love. I mean, it's, you can look at it one of two ways. And I really feel like Nancy Drew books don't do a lot of the unpacking here because they really don't need to. They're leaning on a bunch of tropes that already existed and that are going to be really familiar to the reader. So, 
I mean, if you've got a knight, there's of course like it's dating back to the 15th century. The it's the whole romantic idea of knights and saving people. And the peacock is really interesting, of course, because of they're talking about like good luck versus bad luck. The fact that it's a bird that preens itself, that is very proud of its own appearance and vanity, etc., which kind of plays into the whole theme of this entire ball of bullshit. Um, there's that, but there's also the notion of a knight character as in somebody who needs to save somebody else like the very patronizing thing that's happening here i mean i would love to think that maybe he immigrated to charlottesville virginia because he wanted to act as an abolitionist like i would hey that would be fantastic i would fucking love that i'm you know of course they're not going to talk about any of that within within this book they're just not um breaking the window up is an interesting image because it's you saying that you want to preserve and protect something that you've protected since literally the time of the civil war which hey that's that is like on its face problematic if you want to do that so they take this thing and they're like we need to we need to preserve this thing we need to protect it from somebody who might come through and destroy it and so if you look at the stained glass window and again like just just saying that it's stained as in saying that there is something inherently incorrect about it. It's not pure. Um, which is its own problematic language to be unpacked. But if you're saying that the window itself like, is something that needs to be preserved and protected because, again, you're living in the South at this point. You're living in Virginia, which means that anybody who comes through to destroy shit is going to be from the North. So somebody who comes through to destroy that, to destroy your heritage. Like, there's a lot in here that I was like, this is like... Mm, wow. The thing that I focused on most when I was 10 years old and reading the revised text of this book, which, by the way, I actually pulled out the fucking revised text of this book to, first off, again, better cover. Second, this was, uh, the p- revised version was published in 1975-ish. Um, like, honestly, if you look between the two books, and I did, because I was curious about this, first off, the plot is almost identical. They compress a few things because, again, they're going to go for fewer pages. The second thing is that usually the the reason that was given for revising the text themselves was to reduce the old-fashionedness of the text, so removing things like iceboxes, um, also to update the terminology, and also to eliminate some of the racism, which was kind of like a like mumbled thing in the background. If you look at the text of this book, there's there's a few things that stick out between that weren't changed. One is that, yeah, she has a servant who they take out the word colored. They don't replace it with black or any other word that would mean the similar thing. But the way that she speaks is the same. So you again have this weird like mammy language happening where it's just like land sakes, y'all like oh, mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying that Hannah's not above it, but there, it's it's coded as black within the text. The second thing, there is a difference between... Uh, oh, oh, I look for this explicitly. When Nancy's when Nancy and George are stuck in the tunnel and it's at night and they're in their pajamas and they're like they accidentally fell into the, the passageway that was from the attic down to the cellar of the Ivy Hall. In both texts, Nancy says, because George is feeling really bad about the fact that she, like, fell into a fucking well, like it's a fucking horror movie, and she's, like, dripping wet, and it's pitch black, and and they don't have a lot going on, and Nancy's, like, to try to lighten the mood, she's like, imagine if you were a servant, or a slave, actually, if you were a slave trying to take a tray of food to the main house from the kitchen that, you know, if it would be really easy for it to just tip over and spill everything onto the ground. And George is like, yeah, like imagine if you were trying to carry a turkey dinner, that'd be pretty hilarious. And they decide that the well is actually there for a slave to dip out water to take to the main house. Like, which I've got some questions. The the well does not seem to be marked in any way. There's no bricks around it. And I'm like, it just seems like a giant mud pit. Oh, mm. But Nancy makes that reference in both versions of this text. And the person that she goes to talk to who is, um, Mandy is the, Manda is the one who works for Susan's family. Um, and when I say Susan's family, I mean like Susan and her husband who are, who are Nancy's contemporaries in 1956. Um, the other one is named Beulah, I'm pretty sure. Um, that that part where Nancy goes to talk to the person who whose family has been around there for generations, all, all sorts of air quotes around it, that part, again, they're living in 
slave quarters that have been updated. They are still living in slave quarters that have been updated. There's... It's like... Hmm. And again, I I don't know that Simon & Schuster ever... And it wouldn't have been Simon & Schuster, actually. It would have been Grosset and Dunlap who was working with this the Stratemeyer Syndicate at this point um, to release these books. I don't know that they ever released anything like, oh, by the way, we were trying to get rid of some racism. Like, I don't, I don't think that that was ever like a primary concern of the updating of the texts. It was like, Nancy just looks pretty old-fashioned and we want to make sure that if you've got like grandchildren that they might want to read these books because she looks super fashionable with her flipped up hair. And she does, but, um, so yeah, they didn't, they didn't fucking, it was like they, God, whitewashed it. God, listen to me. Um, <laughs> so there's that, there's the, the thing about Mr. Honcho being like, and uh, there, oh, the other thing that happens, and I did not find this in the revised text. I found this in the original text though, that Manda, who works for Susan, whenever she finds out that the girls are going to be staying over at Ivy Hall so they can track down the ghost. Which, again, Nancy and her friends canonically do not believe in ghosts or witches, even though I would 100% stand Nancy as a witch. Um, Manda's like, oh, well, let me give you some good luck charms. And so she hands him, like, a rabbit's foot. And there's, like, two other things. And, again, I kind of refuse to open the book again. But I got really big Jim from Huckleberry Finn vibes off that shit because Jim, of course, is represented in Huckleberry Finn as incredibly superstitious and, like, doing fortune-telling using a ball of hair. Like, there's all sorts of, like, oh, like, magical Negro tropes that are happening. And, again, with Manda, who was like, oh, well, you know, I've... I want to keep y'all safe, so keep this under your pillow. Where it's like, she's she's too dumb. She's superstitious. She's just, she's not as advanced as us. And so, Nancy and her friends just humor her. Like, Nancy was like, I'm not going to tell her that, you know, I'd, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to believe in that. I'm just going to, like, take it and smile and, and thank her for it and then just walk away with it. Which, again, on, on the grand scale of things, you're still, the bar is subterranean. So, there's that. Um, just the fucking symbology of the fucking window. And again, if you want to look at the window and the fact that you are seeing through it through colored glass, which means that the view that you are seeing of it is by very definition distorted. There's just all sorts of shit here that like, if you want to read this, if you want to use, dare I say, critical race theory, like, oh my God, you could have a field day with this as, and, and again, the whole concept of the fucking lost cause that would have been reviving around this point where it's like, oh, well, you know, they, they should have won. And rediscovering your heritage, your history, the fact that um, Sir Richard is not like taken aback by this. He's like, I'm so grateful to you to, to for recovering this and returning it to me. It's just a fucking lot. And when I was reading this, when I was 10, the thing that I was most focused on is the fact that Ned only visits for maybe 20 pages. Like, honestly, he visits so that Nancy can take him with her when she goes to recover, quote unquote, recover her compact from the bushes. And um, when she's on the way out, she very, like, over the top, she demonstrates that, oh, I'm discovering my compact so that she can demonstrate to Mark Bradshaw, who, of course, would be watching at this point, that Yes, I wasn't lying. I was, in fact, recovering my compact case, which, again, is, I mean, it, it doesn't fucking matter at this point. He doesn't warm up to her to the point that Ned comments on it. But um, at a party, there's a guy who is paying a lot of attention to Nancy, and Nancy's like, oh, he's a lot of fun. And, like, he's never mentioned again, but it's very much like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's paying attention to me, and so I'm going to let him go get me some punch and let him go get me a plate of food. Um, which, so I fucking hated him. I hated the fact that Ned wasn't in this book enough for me, which would have been from the beginning to the end. I hated the fact that, um, Nancy was not really flirting with somebody else, but enjoying the company of somebody else. I was like, no, no, you need to, at all times, you need to be pining for Ned. Which again, feeds into, and I love the fact that in the window that Nancy uncovers, it's a knight on horseback with a shield with nothing to necessarily protect. Which is, that's cool. That's cool. So Nancy comes to this place. She unearths the window, which, of course, she's going to get the reward for. Richard's going to take back to his homeland. God, everything's wrong with that. Um, 
The and also he says that he's going to in, in addition to giving a reward for finding the window to Nancy, um, he's also going to pay the actress who discovered the window in her home, the home that she had purchased. So therefore, it, you know, the window technically belongs to her. He's going to pay her for it, so now she can afford to make the updates that the house so desperately needs because, of course, it's it wasn't well kept. Um, it's called Ivy Hall because there's literally like ivy covering the face of it to the. Fu- like when Nancy first sees in the book when she drives by when she's on the way to another estate she thinks that it's abandoned because it's like it's so unkempt so yeah yeah plus in this year of our pandemic 2022 just seeing the word Charlottesville Virginia I was like oh so we're just gonna drive home the fact that like that that whole tiki monstrosity was not something that sprang out of nowhere is what you're trying to tell me is that there's a rich deep history of racism in this local area so i mean there uh there's the representation of the south as like unabashedly 100 percent wholeheartedly racist like it's mm, it's just a lot it's just a lot so was I like not at all happy with yeah yeah wasn't wasn't really at all happy with what was going on in this book but yeah there's that there's a lot of Nancy like just and again I'm like everything about this feels wildly implausible just wildly implausible and at the end of it she finds out that and I'm, I'm doing more of the summary when I said that I was done with that but it's okay um at the end of it, she discovers that Mark Bradshaw just became suspicious of her just based on her suspicious behavior, which is legit. I'll give you that. But it's like, you know, there was nothing necessarily wrong with him as a person. Like, he just, like, he's just a little bit eccentric. And so at the end of the book, they reconcile where it's like, oh, yeah, I was maybe going to poke around in the local neighborhood and see if I can find the window, too, but it's okay. But, yeah, it's also... Um, when Nancy asks around about Mrs. Dondo, because I clearly didn't finish my summary very well, um, when Nancy asks around about Mrs. Dondo in Charlottesville, the people there tell her that Mrs. Dondo has pulled the same fucking scam that she tried to pull on Nancy and Mr. Ritter, where she claimed that somebody had sent her $100 and it had clearly been, like, stolen in the mail, so therefore she was due that money. So, there's that. So, I can't remember exactly what happened. I think that in this book, actually, like, Carson goes to Mrs. Dondo's house and basically threatens her within an inch of her life to the point that she's like, oh, okay, but she goes back to trying to squawk about the the guy who was delivering the mail instead of focusing on Nancy because Carson's like, you want to try some shit? You want to try some shit? Oh, go. I'm I'm here for it. I got nothing else to do. I'm going to be taking several business trips during the course of this book, but when I get back here, I'm going to kick your ass. So there's that. There's just just a lot going on and a lot of it's bad. Um the other thing that I did want to talk about is we have we have gone through all of the Mildred Wirt Benson volumes. Um I think the last one was actually Scarlet Slipper, which so I'm like I cannot help but stand. You know I love you Mildred. You know I love I love a lot of what she did. I do remember reading that, like, at the end of her life, Mildred Ware Benson was not thrilled at the fact that, first off, that she had been revealed as an H.G. ghostwriter because it wouldn't have been seen as necessarily prestigious for her to, like, yes, I wrote these books, but did not put my own name on them. She, Mildred Ware Benson wrote a bunch, ghostwrote a bunch, and also wrote under her own name a bunch. And so for her to be associated with Nancy Drew, which she would have been seen, would have seen as, like, a paycheck, basically. Like, I mean, for somebody who saw it as a paycheck, she did a damn good job. I'll give you that, Millie the late Millie. Um, but also like at, from this point on, we've got Harriet who is Edward's daughter and she's the one controlling basically the content of the books from until she died in the early eighties. So a lot of what we're seeing is Mildred. It's not Mildred actually is Harriet. We're seeing what Harriet saw for Nancy. We're seeing because Harriet becomes then the keeper of her father's creation, which is loaded with all sorts of Frankenstein symbology. But yeah, it's like you're you're seeing a window into this and I don't I couldn't tell you whether Harriet held any fascination for the Civil War whatsoever, but the just all the weird weird shit that was happening in this book that I was like, yeah, as a 10-year-old you're not going to pick up on it. You're absolutely not going to pick up on it. Or at least I didn't. I was not the 10-year-old who was going to pick up on this shit. But but it sinks in. So, there's that. Okay. So the next book we're going to be reading, let me see what the next book we're going to be reading is. 
The Haunted Showboat! Fuck yeah, buddy. And this is one that I'm actually going to have to read a copy that I have that's in the dust jacket because I don't have a reading copy of it. I only have the 25 chapter in the dust jacket. The wraparound dust jacket with a protective mylar cover. Because I'm that kind of nerd. So, so that's what we should be doing for our next episode. So, I hope you enjoyed me screaming about everything for a solid 15 minutes. I'm sorry. I, I'm a, I'm a, actually not sorry. Don't read this book is basically <laughs> where I'm landing on this. Don't read this book unless you are doing an exhaustive report on pop culture and its representations of the Civil War and nostalgia over the Civil War and the fact that they are not even going to... Mi- like, it's kind of scary, in fact, that they go so far as to not really mention it that much or not mention it by name. And it's just that, like, everything in the book is pointing to a lot of shit that is not dealt with about that. So... They don't even actually update the year in the 1975 version. They don't even make it like, oh, in the 1870s. It's like, no, it's still 1850. There was a lot of just like, we're just going to trim some shit and just leave it at that. Like that Uncle Fester mask, which, yeah, good times, good times. If you're going to spy on somebody, wear an Uncle Fester mask. The other weird thing that happens at that point is that um, when Nancy goes out there to see if the guy dropped anything, if there are any clues, if she can find some footprints, because she does find some footprints at another location, um, she finds that the person who was glaring at them through the window wearing an Uncle Fester mask apparently dropped a tube of paint that said black and contains iron oxide. And she was like, oh, fuck yeah, a clue. And then she gets knocked the fuck out. And then when she wakes up, the tube of paint is gone. And so she's like, uh, but I remember what it said. So, so what? Suck it, bitch. So that's one of the reasons that she feels like Alonzo is probably involved because he is supposed to be an artist, even though like, there's a lot of interesting, like, I had not even considered that until I literally said that. There's a lot of interesting, like, oh, they're artistic, so therefore they're destitute, so therefore they're committing crimes. It's an interesting sequence of thoughts to have, because in the previous book, it was like, oh, we found a palette knife, therefore an artist must be involved, therefore an artist is doing some of these things. And now it's, oh, somebody knocked me the fuck out, and I found a tube of paint, which I've got questions. Why were you carrying a tube of paint? What? 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 But anyway, so... And Alonzo, at the end of it, is revealed as, like, not necessarily evil, but just swayed by people he's around. So, apparently, he, one of his confederates, just convinced him to be involved in the scheme. Mrs. Dondo seems thoroughly horrible, so there's that. That's fun. Where she's just going to point at people and accuse them of stealing $100 from her and then demanding that they cough up. So, that's fun. Just, just a lot of really not great people happening. So, next time, Haunted Showboat, which... Because you know about Nancy Drew books, you know that it is not, in fact, haunted. That that's not a thing that happens in Nancy Drew books. So, says the person who did not actually record that bonus Patreon episode slamming the show from here to, from hell to breakfast. Which is a thing that I'm going to thoroughly enjoy whenever it happens. So, until then, stay sleuthy, my friends.